Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week, our portion is Re'eh, and it's uh, Behold. And in this parsha, there's a lot to talk about. They cover a, a lot of material in this time. I want to start out just reading here from Deuteronomy 11. It says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Okay, so he starts out with a call and a reminder to not stray from the path that the Lord has revealed and not to follow the gods of others, but rather that there is a blessing placed before God's people to, when they follow in his ways. And within this, this portion is largely about, well, it talks about the sanctity of the land and the sanctity of the people. And it gives a framework that God's people are to follow, that his covenant people are to walk in so that they can walk in what he has prepared for them and so they can fulfill their calling. And just at a high level, within the portion it goes through, it talks about the blessing and the curse, and then he talks about the sanctity of the land and that there's not to be any idolatry in the land, right? And then he warns not to be drawn away from people who would say, let's go follow the gods of others, which is really to say, let's do something other than God's commands. And then he says, you're a treasured people, and here's what a treasured people look like. And he goes through and he talks about the, the kosher diet. He talks about the second tithe, the Shemitah, you know, the, the year of release, the, the time, or how you're to treat the poor and the destitute, how you're to treat the slave. And then he concludes with speaking about the pilgrimage festivals, right? So it's interesting. He opens up with saying, don't follow the gods of others. And then he concludes with, here are God's, here are God's appointed times, and here are the ways that he's called you to come and celebrate before him, right? So he gives us his framework. And we know that this framework is one that will lead to blessing when we follow it and lead to curse when we don't. We know that there have been many failures throughout time, right? The children of Israel right now are in exile, right? Because there were acts of unfaithfulness, right? The church, the Christian church too, has failed to, to walk in fully in its calling, right? And they, we've not provoked the Jew to jealousy, right? Now, the times are changing, right? And this isn't the end. The exile and the failures are not the end because God is always in the process of calling a people back to him for restoration, for reconciliation. He's not done with Israel and he's not done with the Christian church. But as, as Jamie said, it's like a, an option has been placed before us, a choice. You know, will we choose this day to serve the Lord and uphold his ways? And that's what we're being called to do. In Isaiah 58, 9 through 12, 
The Lord says, then you shall call, or actually Isaiah says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And again, as in worship, saying like, even when things aren't per- perfect, what do we do? We call unto the Lord, right? And we, we worship him even in the midst of it. And in the midst of it, even in scorched places, he can make your bones strong. And you can be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And the scripture also says that you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The repairer of the breach. A repairer of the breach is only needed when a breach has been made. <laughs> We need a repairer of the breach, right? And God calls us to be repairers of the breach. And within that, the repairing of the breach, as the understanding in Judaism, is a, is a return to the right path, a return to the Torah, right? So why, why a return to the Torah, Right? Because the Torah is a revelation of God's character and nature that he's given to man, right? He's given it to man so that man might walk in it to become more like him, such that the knowledge of God will be manifest on the earth, right? If we just know that God is righteous, but no one performs acts of righteousness, then God is not known. It's just a concept right? Rather, but his desire is to be known in the earth and to have his righteousness revealed. And he reveals his righteousness through his people who will walk according to his ways. You know, we always, we always point back to the Torah, right? Because it is the ultimate standard of righteousness, of morality, right? Aside from the Torah, there can be no standard of, of morality or righteousness, because that is the one true revelation that God has given us and fulfilled in Yeshua, right? Where we see it, where we see the Torah lived out, where we see the righteousness of God revealed. And he calls us to walk as he walked. And within that walking, there's no, uh, there's no conflict with grace. You know, when we, when we talk about the Torah, we're not putting it at odds with grace because the Torah and grace are actually hand in hand. You really can't have grace unless the righteousness of Torah has been carried out because grace is merited favor given to people who don't have the merit. Okay? So if you think about, you think of, so let's, let's, let's kind of work that out a little bit. Okay, there is no grace to give unless righteousness is first worked out because it is the righteousness that one merits through faith in God and then carrying out 
faithfulness, that then the favor that they've earned can be extended to people who are in desperate need for it. We see that demonstrated with Moses. We see it greatly, more perfectly demonstrated through Yeshua because he lived a perfectly righteous life, upholding every aspect of the Torah. And then that favor that he had with God was then able to be extended to all mankind. Right? So without God's instruction, without faith, without walking in his ways, you can't have grace. Now then the people who don't, you know, who fail, who sin, we are in need of that grace that's been merited by Yeshua. Right? But he earned it through righteousness through the Torah. And so then he says, now come and be like me. Walk as I've walked. And that's a real key to who the Messiah is supposed to be or who the Messiah is. He's one who calls the people of God to return to the ways of God, right? When people have strayed from God, God says that they don't know him, right? That's what we read in Psalm 95. I'll have to pull it up here real quick. Um, when Jamie was reading earlier, he said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways, right? Knowing God's ways is walking in God's ways such that we experience the one true God. And so we have a call within the restoration of all things to walk in covenant faithfulness with God. Even when we've gone astray, there's the call to come back. Even when failures have happened, there's the call to come back. When I look at Emmaus Road and think about what our role is, our role is one of restoration. It's one of restoring the Messiah's true identity, restoring the faithfulness of God's people to his covenant, right? Both as a body, but first within us individually. Right? Because we can't bring restoration to others unless we first begin to receive restoration and walk in it. We have a choice in that each and every day. God, God calls us to be like him because we're a treasured people. Israel and those grafted into Israel, right? In Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 2, he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land. Actually, I'm reading the wrong verse. That's okay. Let me go to the right verse. But this is still a good one. It's still a good passage, right? You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Um, I'm actually wanting to read from Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 2. So it's just a technical difficulty. <laughs> It says, you are a children to the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves and you shall not make a bald spot between your eyes for a dead person. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you for himself to be a treasured people from among all the peoples on the face of the earth. Right? So God says you're a treasured people. And as a treasured people, you're to be set apart. You're to be different. You're to sanctify yourselves so that God can move in and through you. We're to be a temple unto the Lord, right? In 1 Corinthians three sixteen through 17, the scripture says, Do you not know 
that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right. This passage isn't about like really how the, the temple, the physical temple compares, but, we need, but Paul wants us to understand that God's desire from the beginning has been to dwell with man, right? And that's what he said that we should build a sanctuary for, for him to come and dwell in. And then he makes us into a living temple. And he places his spirit within us such that our body is his dwelling place. But our, our body, being a dwelling place, has to be a sanctified place. It has to be one that we are setting apart. Just as in Deuteronomy 12, the Lord talks about how the land itself is sanctified. This is, this is a, if you look at the, at the portion, you have the land and the sanctity of the land, you have the treasured people, right? Well, the land can be compared to our body in that the land is the, the special place where you're not to have any idolatry, where to, you're, you're to create a place that is devoid of all other gods such that God can place his dwelling there and dwell among the people. Well, that's what we're to do with our bodies is we're to make our bodies holy so that he might dwell in us. In Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 5, these are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land of the Lord, the God of your fathers has given you to possess. All the days that you live on the earth, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go. Okay, so God tells us we have to tear down the idolatry in the land. Okay, this is speaking about in the land. This isn't saying uh, here where you find, in America where you find idolatry, go smash it down. No, don't be doing that. That's a crime. <laughs> and God has not called us to do that, right? He is saying that his eye is on the land. He has chosen Israel and specifically chosen Jerusalem as the place of his dwelling. And so the land there must be clean. And so that's what he's calling, um, calling forward. And the warning is against idolatry, right? To, to tear down all the things that the nations did to worship other gods in the land, to make room for God so that it won't be a snare for you, right? Because if, you, if the children of Israel were to leave all the high places when they went in to take the land, they would be drawn back into those places, right? But that the Lord's desire is not for us to fall back to where, where we came from, but rather be able to move forward in what he has laid out and in his provision. And he says that when we do, when the children of Israel do, they will live long in the land. So idolatry, I wanted to say a little bit about what idolatry is. Okay, Deuteronomy 12, actually I think I already read, I already read this. Okay, we're good. Deuteronomy 12, we already talked about that, about the tearing down within the land. 
idolatry is a really big deal. And in the, in the book, in the Sifre of uh, Deuteronomy, which is a commentary on Deuteronomy, they say, whosoever recognizes idols has denied the entire Torah, and whosoever denies idols has recognized the entire Torah. Sounds a bit strange, right? To say, if you have denied idols, then you've recognized the Torah. But if you have recognized idols, you've denied the entire Torah. And the reason why is the idea that the Torah was given by God, who is the one true God, the author of all truth. And so if we acknowledge other gods in his place, then we're no longer proclaiming him as the one true God. And if he's not the one true God, then his word is not the one true word. His, his word no longer has, we, we've treated his word as though it does not have standing as an absolute authority and truth. Does that make sense? So it's fascinating to think about idolatry and, and how, it, how it's perceived and understood here in the scriptures. So canceling any part of the Torah undermines its moral authority as well. All right? In the scriptures, I, I accidentally read in Deuteronomy 4 too about how you shall not add or detract, right? Um, well, that same passage is in our portion this week in Deuteronomy 13.1 where the scripture says, the entire word that I command you, that you shall observe to do, you shall not add to it and you shall not subtract from it. That command is really critical because the moment we begin to peel away any of the commandments and say that they aren't valid, We've weakened all, the, all the, uh, the ground for which we can say that God's word is true from beginning to end, right? I, I heard an example the other day, talked about how within the scriptures, it says that the eating of non-kosher animals is an abomination, right? And that so is homosexuality, right? And... The primary stance within the church today is that the eating of unkosher foods is okay, right? But that homosexuality is, is still an abomination. And that becomes a really slippery slope under which people begin to operate and move. Because it's like, well, how is it that you determine that that, that, uh, that one stands and the other does not? And I'm not arguing this just for the sake of trying to prove the truth of God's word, right? I, do not, I'm, I don't believe that any of the, of the commands will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. Just as Yeshua said in Matthew 5, which is somewhere in here, but I'm not, <laughs> where he says that, um, you know, he says, no, okay, here we go. Thank you, Jeremy. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Right, so Yeshua doesn't, did not come to annul even one of the commands. Right? He upheld them and said that 
not until heaven and earth pass away would the smallest letter or stroke pass from the Torah. Right? And so, you know, following in that, what if Yeshua had done away with any of the commandments? If Yeshua had done away with any of the commandments, he would have disqualified himself as the Messiah. He could not be the Messiah of Israel if he canceled any of the commandments or even broke any of the commandments. Now, if we look, I guess what we'll do is we'll go to Deuteronomy 13. Here we go. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 6. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Okay? Um, I won't continue on, but there's a couple other examples given here in Scripture of an enticer who would be a brother who comes and says, hey, let's go away from God's commandments, or an entire city becomes wayward and is no longer following the ways of the Lord. But the thing here, Deuteronomy 13 is a really big deal, especially when it comes to us saying, who is our Messiah what did he do while he was here? What are his teachings? And then what then should follow? Right? Because if we look through, if we look at the way that Yeshua has been presented through the past couple of centuries, there's been a distorted image of Yeshua taught within the church. That does not nullify him as the Messiah, and it does not mean that people in the church don't have a, a relationship with him, because they do, and good things come through the church. But yet, there's a misunderstanding of who Yeshua is and what his message was. And because of that misunderstanding, it has caused some to go astray, and it's actually prevented the body of believers in Messiah from fulfilling their role and their call as being a light to the Jewish people, right? We, it's very easy for us to look and say, well, the Jews failed in their calling to be a light to the nations without recognizing that the body of believers has failed to be a light to the Jews because of misunderstanding and misrepresentation of who Yeshua is. And what do I mean by this with the misrepresentation? Okay. Many of the teachings that are common, these aren't, you know, this isn't universal by any means, but a lot of the common teachings are that, yes, Yeshua said he didn't come to abolish but to fulfill, and that by fulfilling it makes it to where the, the Torah commands are obsolete, except for the moral ones, right? There's been, been a slicing and dividing 
of the Torah, of the commands. And there's been a teaching. For example, I mentioned the, the kosher foods, right? In the scriptures, in most translations, it says that Jesus declared all foods clean. But that is a misinterpretation of the scriptures. And we can go into that some other time. We don't have time for it right now. But it's a misinterpretation of the scriptures that actually, if it were true, if he declared all foods clean, then he just subtracted from the commandments. And by subtracting from the commandments, he broke one of the commandments. And by breaking one of the commandments, he sinned. And if he sinned, then you're still in your sins. Right? And now, this teaching is not, uh, it's not one by evil people seeking to lead people astray. Right? It's by good people who love the Lord and want to lead people to know Jesus, right? But there's a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation then of who Yeshua is. There's often a lot of teachings that Yeshua broke the Sabbath, right? That he did things that were not allowed. Well, that's, that's not true either. We just don't understand how it was that what appears to, or what is taught as a breaking is not and we can go into that some other time too. I'm sorry, I'm kind of introducing some things that we, can't, we don't have time to go into. But the, the more important thing that I'm trying to say here is that for, for many hundreds of years, it has been taught that Yeshua broke the Sabbath, that he broke the commandments, but kept the commandments. So there's kind of like this, there's a breach there in understanding, Right? And yet, people still say he's the Messiah. And it's true, he is the Messiah. He's just been misrepresented. And because of that misrepresentation, the Jew who knows the scripture cannot receive Yeshua as their Messiah. They would be violating the Torah to receive the Jesus that the church commonly presents. Now, that should be a shocking statement that actually the rejection of, of, a, of a Jesus who teaches against the Torah, okay, yeah, the rejection of, the teach, of, of, a, of a Jesus who teaches against the Torah is actually biblical, which is a crazy thing to think. But, you know, we often, a lot of the arguments I'll hear often is, I don't see how the Jews don't see that Jesus is the Messiah when look at all the miracles that he performed. Look at all the wonders that he did. Look at all the prophecies he fulfilled. How come they can't see it? They're just blind, hard-hearted. It's like, no. You know, they, they actually know the scriptures and say, if he's doing what you said he's doing, he can't be the Messiah. And that, that argument was actually used, I'm sure it's been used multiple times. This isn't just my thought and thing I've kind of made up. In, in Russia, it's documented that there was a, a time that, uh, you know, missionaries were trying to debate with the Jewish people and say, listen, here's who Jesus is. Look at all these miracles he did. How can you deny it? And the rabbi's response was, this Nazarene that you speak of, his teachings were based on the Torah of Moses? And they said, well, yes, his teachings were based on the Torah of Moses. And their response was Deuteronomy 13. They said, 
If there should stand up in your midst a prophet or a dreamer of a dream, and he will produce to you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes about of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us follow gods of others that you did not know, and we shall worship them. Do not hearken to the words of that prophet or to that dreamer of a dream, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love or are loyal, like that love and loyalty can be interchanged. Whether you are loyal to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So it, it is actually in keeping with the Torah that, that that representation would be rejected. And that should be heartbreaking, right? To think that the people who truly love Jesus and have re- experienced his restoration, his forgiveness, his redemption, and who so desire his name to be proclaimed in all the earth could be talking of him in a way that is not of his character, such that actually prevents people from coming to know him, right? That's part of the restoration that we are seeking to walk in, where we are looking to be repairers of the breach who can come in and say, no, 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 Christian church, the Messiah you have is right. But here's a new level of understanding of who he is. And then to the Jews, the Messiah who's being preached to you is your brother. And he actually upholds the Torah and calls you back to it. Where you've been wayward, he knows, here's the way to walk. Go in it. Walk in this way. And when that happens, you see the two come together. Because both Christian and Jew will know that they have the same God and the same Messiah. And so in this time, in this day and age that we are in, that's one of the restorations that God is bringing about, that he is placing in people's hearts and that he is raising up. Right, the Messianic uh, Jewish movement has been well, it's, it's existed in various forms through time, right? But it's really gained a lot of grounds and ground in the last 50 years. It didn't start 50 years ago. It started before that. But it's gained a lot of ground. It's continuing to gain momentum where people are desiring to know more of the Scripture. And they're pouring into that. And within that, within that restoration... Gentiles are finding a deeper engrafting into the nation of Israel and coming to understand more of, of who they are in the, in the body of believers. Now, I mentioned before that this, part, this portion wraps up with... God giving the call again to keep his appointed times of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so I was thinking, well, why why is this passage here at this point in time in the scriptures? And it it does, it kind of brings back around from where God started at the beginning of this portion where he's talking about when you go into the land, you'll get rid of all the idolatrous practices 
and you will not walk in their ways. And then he concludes with, these are my times that I've given you to walk in and to celebrate and to come before me. And there's four times that I'm aware of, there may be more, in the Torah where these, where these Moedim, these appointed times are detailed. Okay, it's, it's in Exodus 23, 14 through 17, in Leviticus 23, Numbers 28 and 29, and now here in Deuteronomy 16. That's a lot of times of God reiterating his appointed times and the importance of keeping them. And if he's going to take that much time to tell us that these matter and they're to be done, then, then we have to believe they're really important. Now, I don't know where this passage is, but there's a, a time when Paul says, you know, don't let anyone judge you with regard to any of your, your days or months, okay? And often that's been used to say, you know, the, the appointed times of, of the Jewish people, they don't matter. Um, we can do our own thing. Or you're free to do whatever you want, right? But I, I, I think that's far from the truth. One, the appointed times haven't been done away with. The appointed times are still yet to be fulfilled, right? There have been fulfillments of them in the past, right? But there are fulfillments yet to come. So you have Passover, which is the season of redemption. We saw the redemption out of Egypt. We saw the redemption from sin and death through Yeshua, right? You see Shavuot or Pentecost, in the wilderness, it was the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And then at the temple there in Jerusalem, it was the giving of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's the time of outpouring covenantal increase and God taking a bride unto himself. And then you have the high holy days which were approaching. And we come into the time of tabernacles, right? the time of God's dwelling. Right? We believe that that's actually the, the time of Yeshua's birth. But even more so, it's got something bigger coming. Right? It's the dwelling of God with man, the ingathering of the nations, and God's dwelling on this earth. These are key times that have been forgotten within a large body of, of believers. Right? Passover was changed to, to Easter. Um, Pentecost is sometimes recognized by churches, but often not. Um, and then tabernacles is usually non-existent, right? And one of the things that, that we have, um, okay, within this, these appointed times were given to the children of Israel, right? And the children of Israel walk in them. They're dress rehearsals for what's to come but they're also acts of righteousness and just faith and trust in God and proclaiming his goodness, right? And, and God says that we will come before him and rejoice in all that God has blessed us with. It's not just a duty. It's a, it's a time of rejoicing, joining with the Lord and celebrating what he's done and will do. And so often there's talk about, well, should the Gentile um, or, you know, the Gentile believer in Yeshua, should they participate in the holy days. You know, and Paul said, don't anybody judge you. So maybe you just kind of forget about those things. 
I don't, I, don't, I don't go into that route either, okay? Now, they are given to the children of Israel, but the Gentile believer is grafted into Israel and becomes a part of the commonwealth, becomes a part of the family that is celebrating God's work. And without the appointed times, the Gentile could not be grafted into God's holy people. Because how would redemption have come but through the time, that God, time and method that God appointed for it? So if you think back to what the early church would have looked like, right? the early church is the early body of believers, the assembly of believers, which met on Sabbaths in synagogues because that was the only place to learn about the ways of the Lord. That was the only way to come to know who Messiah was is to come grab a hold of a tzitzit of a Jew and learn, right? And so these people who experienced this great redemption, the Gentiles who received this redemption that had now been made part of the covenants and part of this community, is it reasonable to think that they would have said, oh, you're celebrating that? That's good, whatever. I'm going to do my own thing over here. I'm going to make something up. No, it's not even reasonable, okay? Because no, instead it's like, I want every bit of this Yeshua that I can take hold of, right? And so they would have taken hold of that. And that's part of what we're doing, is saying, look, there is beauty in God's appointed times. There's beauty in his Torah. Let's take hold of that. Let's participate in it. And let's encourage others to do the same, not worrying about, well, what, you know, what requirement do I have? But rather, what's open to me that I can jump into and take hold of so that I can know my Messiah, so that I can know the Lord and walk in his ways? You have a choice, and it's laid open before you, right? All the goodness that the Lord has promised through these covenants are open to us if we would just go and grab and take hold and not sit on the outside. You know, one of the things, I've got to make this kind of quick. One of the things I think is important to, to know is what Jeroboam did early on in the, in the time of Israel. 1 Kings 12, Jeroboam's, okay, so background. Jeroboam has just become king of the ten tribes which are northern Israel, okay? After Solomon, he had a son, Rehoboam, who was, who was the next in line. But um, God had anointed Jeroboam to be a, a king over the ten tribes of northern Israel, and Rehoboam was going to be king over Benjamin and Judah. Rehoboam took bad counsel, and when he acted on bad counsel, then the ten tribes split apart and went under Jeroboam's reign. So you had the northern tribes, okay? And now Jeroboam, who was chosen by God to be the king over the ten tribes of the north, says in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David, okay? He was afraid that he was going to lose his kingdom, that the northern tribe would return to the house of David, the house of David being Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, okay? He said, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. 
and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold our, your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. That should be striking, right? So he was afraid of losing his kingdom, and so he changed the Torah of God, which says very clearly in, in our portion this week that there is only one place that you will offer, and that would be the place that God chooses to put his name. And God chose Jerusalem to put his name. So that was the only place that anyone was allowed to offer a sacrifice. They couldn't do it on their own private altars. They couldn't do it on high places of other gods. They had to go to Jerusalem where they would then celebrate before the Lord. But he changed it. So he set up two new locations. Okay, he set one in Bethel and the other one he put in Dan. Okay, so two new places to offer sacrifices. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places and made priests among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. And then Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month, on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to, to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the, the priests of the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel, on the 15th day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn instant incense. So not only did he make other places of sacrifice, he changed the date of Sukkot. He changed the date of the Feast of Tabernacles to the eighth month instead of the seventh month. Right? Now God says that we're to keep his appointed times in their appointed times. We should be scrupulous to do that. So when Jeroboam does this, he was casting off the Torah and creating a religion of his own, something apart from what God had given the children of Israel to follow. Different places of worship and a different means of worship. Okay? When we find ourselves in the position of having an alternate place of worship and alternate celebrations or alternate days of celebration, then we find ourselves in a place where we need to get back to the Torah and back to the times that God has established. He didn't give us provision for any other observances. Now, within this statement, are other celebrations of God necessarily bad? No. Okay? The question is, have you cast off the ones that he has commanded and given in favor of the traditions of man with the replacement as Jeroboam did? Like, okay, one, it would be wrong to change the date of Sukkot no matter what, okay? Just period, that's just wrong, okay? But let's, if, he, if Jeroboam instituted an, an additional thing and said, you know what, we're going to celebrate this great thing that the Lord has done in the eighth month on the 15th day, great. Celebrate the Lord in the eighth month on the 15th day for the great thing he's done. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's the ninth. But, uh, yeah, but, but still, yeah, Hanukkah is an example, right? And... But the thing is, you don't neglect the commandment of the Lord in favor of the tradition of man. That's where we fail. That's where we fall. And, the, and Yeshua actually um, rebukes the, the Pharisees for, for doing this in Mark 7, 9. He says, 
you conveniently set aside the, the commandments of God so that you might keep your tradition. And when the tradition was bad, it's when the tradition conflicts with or does away with the commandment that it's bad. Right? So we have to be mindful of that. And we have to be saying, okay, God's call is for us to covenant faithfulness. So where are we walking in ways that are not in covenant faithfulness? And we need to root those out within us. We need to smash down those altars, smash down those things that defile our tabernacle, our bodies, and walk in righteousness. Right? So we're called to do that individually so that <clears throat> that may be given to others as well. And that's part of our mission here at Emmaus Road is to reveal to people who the true identity of Yeshua is, to encourage people in covenant faithfulness, both as a body and as individuals so that we can walk in all his ways. And we can see the restoration, right? Because we, we, <laughs> we have life through Yeshua now, and there's yet more to come, right? That more to come, the day of that more to come can be hastened through our acts of righteousness, through revealing the true Yeshua so that others, both Gentile and Jew, see and believe and come to walk in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Okay, I need to wrap up. I'm going to say a short prayer, and then Jared's going to tell us some about our upcoming month. So Lord, we love you. We bless you, and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your covenant faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the righteousness of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that we receive through him. Thank you, Lord, that he reveals to us the truth. He reveals to us who you are and shows us the way that we're to walk. Lord, I ask that we would be lights unto others, unto the nations. Lord, that your righteousness would shine in us and through us, that your nature would be revealed. And we would give a true, true testimony of who you are in our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. In the name of Yeshua, amen. So my words are not Torah, so feel free to add or take away uh, information that I share. <laughs> um, so we are coming up on the month of Elul. So that will start uh, the night of August the 20th. Actually, the night. Elul is a month of 30 days. So usually months of 30 days, you celebrate Rosh Hodesh two nights. And if it's a month of 29 days, it's usually one night. Um, so uh, anyway, it is the sixth. Elul is the sixth biblical month of the calendar. It's the last month in the civil calendar. Now, I'm not going to say it's the, the 12th month or the 13th month because sometimes there's 12 months, sometimes there's 13th month. So it's easier to say it is the last month of the civil calendar. And then once Elul is over, then we start the, the high holidays the, or the high holy days. Um, there are no official holidays this month, but it is set apart as a month of teshuva or repentance and spiritual preparation for the high ho uh, holy days, which is the next month of Tishri. All right, so the meaning. So it's made up of the Hebrew letters, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, it's an, which is an acronym uh, from chapter 6, verse 3, the Song of Solomon's, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. So some say the word uh, in Aramaic means to search. 
Um, others say it goes back to the Babylonian time of captivity, which means um, harvest. Uh, so it is also known as the time when the king is in the field. And this is very important. Most often, the king is enclosed in his palace where it takes special appointments, protocols, and most part, you are only accessed through intermediaries. You can't really get to them. There's, it's just difficult. But in the month of Elul, it's known as a time when the king is in the field. Um, and as Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. So in a time, it's the time where there's extra grace. Now, through Yeshua, through the blood of Yeshua, yes, we have access to God. We have access to the Father. But as we know, through the times and seasons and feasts and festivals, there's a special added grace for certain elements of connection and for certain elements of, of what God is doing in that time and season. Um, so the blessing of this month is basically God's presence. What a great blessing in and of itself. So the above the above point to the idea that during the month of Elul, it is a time of closeness. It is a time, a period where a connection with God becomes easier than at any other time of the year. Because of such close access to God, it is a time of inner work. It is a time of healing, and it is a time of deepening one's relationship with God. So there's an extra special grace to come into connection with God to work on things to get us more into alignment with who God says we are, what our purpose is, and what his desires are to use us for his kingdom here on earth. Um, so this is a season where there is extra measure of grace to break negative cycles in your life and even to redeem time that has been lost. Uh, this is done during the, uh, the season of Teshuva. So Teshuva, it's a 40-day time frame from the first of Elul, and it ends on the 10th of Tishri, which is Yom Kippur. So in Jewish tradition, these 40 days are also called Yemi Ratzon, or the days of favor, since it was during this time that the Lord forgave the Jewish nation after the sin of the golden calf. So that being said, the month of Elul represents the time that Moses spent on Sinai preparing the second set of tablets after that incident. He ascended on Rosh Hadesh Elul, and descended 40 days later on the 10th of Tishri, uh, which is the end of Yom Kippur, when the repentance of the people was complete. So beginning Rosh Hadesh Elul, it is customary to blow the shofar every day to awaken us for the coming high holy days. And if you want to really do it, get out there before the sun even rises and go outside and just let your neighbors know that this is the time of Teshuvah. It is also customary to read Psalm 27 every day during this upcoming 40 days. So in Psalm 27, you'll, uh, as you know it, my light, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So it says, it is said, my light, which is associated with Rosh Hashanah. The word my salvation refers to the atonement given on Yom Kippur. And later in that Psalm, it is also mentioned how God hides David in a sukkah which is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. So therefore, since it, all, since it alludes to all three of the fall festivals, Psalm 27 is regarded as the, the thematic or the theme, a psalm for this upcoming season. 
So Jeremiah 29, 3 says that you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all my heart. It is a time of searching for God, and it's a time of understanding that God is actually in the field looking for you as well. Uh, and what a, what a great, great moment and picture that is. So it says, what an awesome season that we are entering where there's a greater grace to access, to hear God, to access God, to hear his voice, and a greater grace to redeem lost time, and a greater grace for us to return to the ways of God, adjust our thinking, which is part of teshuva and repentance, to change the way we think, to renew our minds, to meditate on the scriptures, just as, um, just as God said, meditate day and night, and I will bless you. I will show you what I can do. And for us to come into alignment with God's ways and his purposes. So this is a really special time in preparation for the high holy days. Um, and it's not to be taken lightly. And in fact, I would encourage you to prepare for the preparation. And think about that. Um, uh, on Thursday night, I think it's Wednesday, the 20th. So, so it starts Wednesday night at sunset. Um, and, that's, and we'll start counting the days. The 40, and day 40 is Yom Kippur. Um, and so, a uh, quick little prayer for the month. It says, may it be your will, Lord our God and the God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.